Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Bark's Remarks. I'm Mark Severino, a grown man who enjoys duck comics, and I'm joined by a returning guest host. Thad, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Thad Komarowski. I am a longtime duck fan, specifically of Carl Bark's. I've done a lot of commentary for the Fantagraphics collections, and I've also done a lot of localization work for the uh, various new publications of international stories. Very cool. Yeah, I I really enjoy having people on who've got some of the the behind-the-scenes experience. Um, You know, you get to see kind of how the sausage is made. That must be interesting. Yeah, it can be. Uh, Sometimes it's very uh, illuminating uh, how these things are made or how they're not made in some cases. And, you know, I guess that's appropriate, too, because the the story that we're going to be talking about today, which is, of course, the mysterious Stone Ray, definitely had some like behind the scenes, not drama. None of it's like too exciting, but but rarely for a Carl Barks comic, we kind of get to see um, some of the like revisions and reversions in how he made this one. Yes, it's fascinating that uh, all that survived because so much from this period is long gone. And it sort of says to me that Barks, he wasn't really sure of how this story should go. And I'm not sure if we see much of that in the final project, but it's very illuminating seeing those alternate uh, pacings that do survive. Right. And and what we're referring to, of course, is that there is this like surviving artwork that ultimately didn't make it into the story. Um, it's it's nearly complete, right? Like it's it's drawn, but not fully inked or something is, is my understanding. A couple of them are inked. I'm looking at it right now, the Fantagraphics collection right now. It looks like there's at least a page's worth that's inked and the other is penciled, and I'm going to read what uh, Bark said, uh, if you don't mind. He said, Bark said to uh, Bruce Hamilton, Jeffrey Bloom, and Tom Andre in 1984, he said, I cut panels to shorten business, which was getting tiresomely overstaged. And it says he may have been planning this as a 32-page story and got a word partway through that he had to cut it to 28 pages. May have been a bit of both, but you can, as they say, you can see Bark's storytelling sense at work. Yeah, it's it's almost like you get to see his notes or or thought process or something right. for this one, right? Because he he um he did a lot of work that ultimately he left out, and it's not like back to the Klondike where it, they could go right. back in and put it in later because it's it, he reworked the story it's, enough. It, yeah, it's it's it. I would. I would definitely go towards Barks's explanation that he thought he was overstaging it. I right. would definitely, I, I would, de- I don't think he got that, you know, the hammer came down from the Western office. 
in this case that he had to cut stuff, but he was just doing it himself. He was doing self-editing. Right. Yeah. This seems like him, a, a case of him just, just trying to be disciplined about how, again, as you said, how he stages it. Um, and, and I like, I like how um, the re- the more recent printings have chosen to just kind of tag along the extra panels. You know, they're not trying to show oh, yeah. it in. No, no, that's the way it w- that's the way it should be because there's no way to incorporate it. Uh, just like with uh, Trick or Treat, they print that all. They print it alternately. They either run Barks as they run Barks as intended edition, and in the back they'll run the sense the censored version or the all of the the published version so it's it would be right it's it's a nice way of kind of having your cake and eating it too Mm -hmm. it works out pretty well Mm -hmm. so let's see so the mysterious stone ray you and i were talking beforehand right um, and and i i mentioned that you know this is not really one of my favorite bark stories um but but you are a pretty big fan of this one i uh, am i've i've always liked this one i've uh i first read it um there was uh many years ago with my father when i was a kid there was a, a comic book shop in toronto um uh, called dragon lady comics and they basically had a gold mine for me like maybe circa age 13 or 14 but like they had like the whole gladstone and disney comics run and they're the long boxes in the back of the store you know for sale and yeah this one i picked up um in the uh the 80s gladstone reprint that's where i first read it and good old uh, uncle scrooge 222 i assume yep yeah with that beautiful yippus cover yeah yeah and uh no it just stuck out to me um i kind of go against the grain i know you said you were excited about the early uncle scrooges you were getting into and i can see the excitement for those but i'm general i generally go against the worldwide grain and think that the uncle scrooge stories generally aren't carl barks's best work i do think that the first three stories uh that he did um and when it was just a four color and it wasn't the uh, ongoing Scrooge series. I think those are unsurpassed. Uh, right. I, I would, I would rank those. And if, if I had top three, it would be in that order because they have an energy that none of the other stories matched. And I can sort of see why this one would be unmemorable in the earliest stories. Cause this one doesn't have a lot of the spectacle. It doesn't have a lot of the grandeur, you know, the, the fantastic settings like uh, the seven cities or tra la la or Atlantis. And it doesn't dig deep into Scrooge's lore. Like those first three stories did, but I always liked this one. I think it, I always I always liked it because it's very creepy. It's a very creepy story. It doesn't start off normally like one does. I mean, I mean, the Beagle Boys are initially not the the main villains of the story. They're petrified. They're trapped on the island. Petrified and, in in, a, in both senses, I guess. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I don't know. I I I would definitely rate it above the. Uh, whatever it got rechristened hawaiian holiday or whatever it is oh um menahuni mystery yeah menahuni mystery yeah that one always just i was kind of it struck me as a misfire when i read it as a kid i i might have to reread it again but that uh, that one's pretty divisive i'm i'm mm. finding i like some some people love it and some people really if not hate it they 
I did probably agree with you that it's a misfire. I sure don't hate it, but it's the, the Beagle Boys are truly the terrible, terrible Beagle Boys in that one. Yeah, that, that may be what, what I like about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of like the degradation in that one. And, oh, boy. And, uh, <laughs> what the ducks have to to overcome but but yeah it's interesting to think about these this first collection the the first i don't know the ten, first 10 or so scrooge stories it's it's a random number but it's a round number so it's easy to kind of think of them together and as you say those first handful are like unmatched setting up scrooge's lore they have some really deep themes and then even even up to like tra la la you know is mm-hmm. is kind of along those lines and then that like second Half of the top 10 we're we're just we're kind of getting into good solid adventure stories well it's funny it's funny the first 10 is that that's the cutoff point the after the first 10 scrooge issues that's when the lettering changes and that's when generally i agree it's it's the general consensus is that's when bark started slipping when his wife took over the lettering well, I mean, it, it's it's I think probably just a matter of consistency, right? You, yeah. you get some you get some really standout classics, sure, of but, course. But you also get these big like swings, these peaks and troughs. But right. but barks being barks, there's I think always something to like really appreciate. Oh, of course. Um, and and again, this one I I do enjoy this. I just I don't love it, and I think I really. <laughs> I came into it really wanting mm. to love it for a, a few reasons that we'll get into. Sure. Um, so let, that's kind of, I think, the dynamic that we've got going into this <laughs> podcast, right? And that'll be right. fun to explore. Little sure. little bit of background. We, we've we mentioned that this is an early Uncle Scrooge. Specifically, we're at Uncle Scrooge number eight. Um, this one is a bit of a shorter story. Or I guess it's it's kind of like what is going to end up being the average length of his adventures, right? I recently recorded an, and released um, an episode for Secret of Atlantis, which I, I realized was his very last full-length 32-pager. So it's it's interesting hmm. to think that going forward, this 24 pages is kind of the norm. Um, this one was released, cover date was December of 54. I, I would say this one doesn't have, it, it hasn't been reprinted as often as many of the early Uncle Scrooge adventures. It's, it's only at eight in the U.S., counting the original print. Um, so it feels a little bit underexposed. And hmm. um, like a bunch of his stories, right? You mentioned that um, Hawaiian Hideaway was kind of the working title for a while for what fans eventually landed at being the Menahuni mystery. Um, some of these very early Scrooge stories, for one reason or another, Western did not run them with a title. So there's this cool bit of correspondence between Barks and a fan named Malcolm Willits, mm-hmm. um, where he a- asked him to suggest some titles for this one. And the a title that I originally read this under, and I guess you did too, mm-hmm. um, was Message from Mysterious Island. Mm-hmm. That, and that's what Barks had suggested. But eventually we landed at the Mysterious Stone Ray. What, what do you like better? Um, I like Mysterious Stone Ray. I, th- I think that's okay. Um, 
you know, it, it's just funny is that uh, as so, so many of these were printed without a title. So it's honestly, I could just generally go by what Barks officially settled on. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like that they hide, um, you know, that that little element of the story. I guess you get it in the cover if you're looking at the Yippus one. But just like Hawaiian Hideaway, I, I actually preferred that one. I think Message from Mysterious mm. Island does a good job of burying the lead a little bit. Let's see, you did a nice job already about talking about the the revisions that he made. Just a little bit of kind of random trivia. Um, you, you mentioned the Beagle Boys. This is a very Beagle heavy yes. story. And yes, I do is. think that's a thing to, to appreciate about this one, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, the Beagle Boys, they're becoming very more defined. Um, and there's an important character trait introduced in the story. But <laughs> yeah. I, I think we'll save that for when we actually get it. Because I think everyone who knows this knows these stories knows what we're talking about and sure. i don't i don't want to spoil it ahead of time sure that sounds good to me yeah um, let's let's savor it for when it shows up so before we get into the story i'm gonna briefly pander to some of our international listeners by um noting some of the titles from around the world um and and you know thad these aren't too remarkable they're kind of what you'd expect but just a couple mm -hmm. of them are fun denmark we have uncle joachim Ogden Gala Professor, which is Uncle Scrooge and the Mad Professor. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. Italy has a pretty conventional Zio Paperone e Lisola del Cavolo, which is Uncle Scrooge and the Cabbage Island. Um, mm, and, I like and that one. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I might prefer that to Barks' title. Sure, yeah. There's something for that. And then we've got kind of a daffy one from Germany, Die Holdampfinsel. That's one of those like German words where it's one word and it translates to the cabbage steam island. Mm. So I like I like how they manage that. Yeah. All right. So so let's do it then. Let's uh let's launch into this story. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna summarize each page. We're not gonna cover everything, every every gruesome detail, but right. um we're gonna highlight stuff that we find interesting and and notable. And so, so the mysterious stone ray opens in a kind of a unique manner, right? We've got, um, we've got this little subversion where Scrooge is doing his typical pursuit. He's diving through the money in his bin, but you can tell that his heart is just not in it. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's talking about, he's naming his fortune that this is one of those, <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start to track these because this is I think the second example where he labels his fortune, <laughs> um, and in Manahuna mystery he gave Donald described it as being this pretty round number, but here he calls it five billion quadruplatillion um umtuplatillion multiplatillion fantasticatillion centrifugatillion dollars and sixteen cents. <laughs> of course, we've always got the 16 cents. Mm -hmm. um, but he's just kind of wan about it. He's very like half-hearted. And he's talking about how the sight of his vast fortune doesn't cheer him up uh, mm -hmm. like it used to. And so by, by the end of the first page, he's already resolved that he needs to go see a doctor 
to figure out what is wrong. So yes, it's a very good hook. You know, it captures the reader. You know, he's doing his usual money swim routine, but you know, he's very lackadaisical about it. And we want, as a reader, want to know, well, what's causing Scrooge this? Yeah, it's definitely intriguing. Um, and on the next page, we transition very quickly into the doctor's <laughs> office. This doctor is not one of the quacks right. that Bark sometimes portrays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have any like goofy sight gags about him being being a quack. And and Scrooge is explaining that he feels tired and heavy at times, which <laughs> I think something that we can relate to, right? Of course. This is a universal kind of feeling and and probably, you know, we're meant to think of Scrooge is an old man too. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, very quick pacing here. The doctor immediately looks at him with a magnifying glass, is, mm-hmm. which amuses me. Um, and, and he exclaims, no wonder your skin is full <laughs> of gold dust. <laughs> um, and and he, he goes on to explain that it's actually clogged his pores. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not getting any ventilation. And and this is this is going to be a good one of the better gags Mm -hmm. of the story, right, is someone expressing surprise and how how on earth could this happen to you? Do you like roll in money? Yeah, it's, 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 someone's actually calling this out. It's like, what are you insane? Are you, are you just rolling around in, in gold? And Scrooge, of course, is, you know, what he, what is his daily routine? He's getting embarrassed by, by being called out on it. And I've got to say too, that, this shows how much more um, Barks respected his audience because you would not see something like this in one of the other uh, Western comic books by the other authors and cartoonists because uh, skin ventilation, uh, that's not a topic that uh, I can't think of a single other story. Yeah, you, you can definitely tell that he like really thought about this hook and how to make this element work. Um and and so the doctor, you know, gives him a remedy. He tells him that he needs to go to get rest, basically somewhere windy um, where, you know, it can just kind of brush the gold out and stop clogging his pores. And and so Scrooge kind of resolves in his mind that the, the compromise is to take a few minutes at the beach um, and, and let him air himself out. And and Thad, I really enjoy this goofy panel of him <laughs> kind of holding open his broadcloth and just <laughs> getting getting some breeze. It's silly. It's it's it looks very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yes, and this is a dilemma we've all faced. I think those of us uh, those of us in the working world, we kind of uh, sometimes sacrifice our health and well being for the sake of work. And it actually makes Scrooge a little sympathetic until he turns it around and says, oh, I would take a sea voyage if I could see some way of making a little money on the trip. Say, okay, now you're back to McDuck and uh, not not quite as sympathetic as you were just a panel or two ago. Right. Because he's going to constantly be scheming how to make or save money. On, on the ultimate voyage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's a shorter story. So um, we're already into the third page. He's he's moving it along. Scrooge sees his nephews doing some beach combing, a nice mm-hmm. old fashioned pursuit. And Huey, Dewey and Louie. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting that he's got them there without 
McDonald, right? We don't mm-hmm. necessarily see that too often in the adventure stories. Right. They explain that they've noticed a bottle is drifting in on the tide and they're waiting for it to come in because, um, you know, the, what what does everyone know about bottles? Sometimes they have messages. Mm-hmm. And, and I... And I love how Scrooge sees them. He's it's, he's got this greedy expression on his face. I'll join them. I once found a Chinese penny that way. This right. is why I like the. I, this is why I really love the story is because there's little character beats and flourishes like that. Like he's he's not interested in going to see his nephews for the sake that they're just his family. He's he got he got some money that one time seeing what they were up to. And that's why he's, that's what drives him to run over there. Right. Like you say, every every character beat is reinforcing. Um, On the other hand, I do like how he's kind of taking his nephews seriously, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, they see this thing, they're they're being very imaginative. um, And he's right along there with them, right? He's smiling as they watch it come in. And then when he sees that, when they realize there is something in that bottle, of course, he gets very excited, pondering maybe it's a map to Bluebeard's treasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Of course. But we learn, in fact, that it is an SOS, which says, Save me. I am marooned on an uncharted island at about longitude 130 west, latitude 20 south. And uh, this is just catnip to like junior woodchucks, right? Mm-hmm. Because they can figure this, they can figure this out. Right. So on on the next page, you know, they they talk about this message, which is clearly referring to an uncharted island where someone is in trouble. The message goes on to say, approach island only from southwest to avoid being turned into. And unfortunately, the rest of the message is blurred by water. Mm. So that that's a, a neat little message, right? Or a neat little hook, because it seems very realistic that the message could be don't, you know, avoid being turned into the, the reef or something like that. Um, but if you've seen the title, you probably know what it's referring to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why I like the story. It's creepy and foreboding. The whole the, the message getting blurred. It's a, actually a very dire warning as well as uh you know, an SOS. And it also addresses, you know, uh, what some of us readers might think of as common sense is like, well, why don't they call the Navy or go to the cops about this? You know, and uh, of course, uh, Barks answers that immediately. It's Scrooge's pure greed. Right. Scrooge's imagination is racing that, you know, it's an uncharted island. It could have lots of riches and and you're right he's doing a nice job of like filling in potential plot holes here Um, Mm -hmm. but before he races off with his family to to rescue the the poor sailor slash look for riches he verifies with the police he asks about if there's been any news of the beagle boys and he learns that they left the country months ago so he's reassured himself um, because he wouldn't want to leave his bin unguarded with those crooks around mm-hmm. yes and that's an interesting tidbit he drops um, it kind of tells you that the Beagle Boys are going to be involved in this story in some capacity because Barks doesn't just put in things for no reason. Right. Definitely. So we we get again, it's it's a very brisk pace for this adventure. Barks introduces Donald to the story in in just the little narration box. 
on the next page, right? He is added to the crew and the Dowdy rescuers sail on the morning tide. Um, I do really like the panels again that show Scrooge airing himself out while he's standing. Oh yes, it's on the a, part of the, the yes, boat. I, yes, I love when uh, Barks draws those eyes. <laughs> it's it's a very goofy picture, and it's also a way of Scrooge um, getting out of the work right that, that right, the voyage requires because he's like, "Hey, doctor's orders." I need to air myself out. But Donald explains that, um, you know, he needs to steer the boat and each of the boys has their own task. Mm -hmm. um, and Scrooge kind of like shrugs. Okay, so, and Donald snaps at him, somebody has to cook. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of a unique exchange. I don't usually see Scrooge giving that kind of a shrug. And so he... Um, ambles down into the galley. And this is where we're going to be introduced to an element of the story that I meant to bring up before, but I forgot, <laughs> I forgot to ask you about. So we, we get to talk here about cabbage, Dad. <laughs> can I ask you, can I just kind of detour a little bit? Is this like a cliche that you know about? Um, the idea of like boiled cabbage being super stinky. Well, it's well, it's obviously something uh, Barks is employing because uh, cabbage is a notoriously cheap food to cook and eat. Um, and it's sort of invoking uh, Scrooge's Scottish heritage because it's, you know, it's it's an Irish dish, of course, corned beef and cabbage. But it's probably something they ate in that neck of the woods, too, a lot. Um, and oh, this pan is like, this will be the cheapest dinner any ship's crew has ever eaten. And he's saying it with such pride. It's 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 demented, but it, it's it's really funny. Two tons of cabbage because it was only two cents a pound. Right. So Scrooge has stocked their galley with nothing but cabbage. Um, this this always felt like such a strange element to this, because like I didn't know about this cliche, the idea that people eat boiled cabbage first and that it's super stinky. But like mm -hmm. when I Googled um, researching, you get tons of stuff about like how to remove the smell of boiled cabbage from yeah. your house. Um, so I, all I can think of is that this is like probably, you know, in my household, this is not a dish we ate, but it was probably pretty popular in America around this time. And, and I can remember other references in like even bark stories, um, and, and other like pop culture of the time that talks about this. So I, I guess that it like releases a sulfurous smell mm -hmm. if you boil oh, yeah. it just a little bit too long or something. Yeah. And especially if you're, uh, being as frugal as Scrooge's and yeah, it's, uh, it can be quite a disgusting aroma. Right. So I'll I'll definitely take your and the internet's word for it. I've never smelled boiled cabbage. Mm. Um, but this is going to be some of this is going to be one of the big running gags of the story. Um, and and we're we're throwing together boiled cabbage along with the sea journey. So you know we get we get uh, the nephews basically retching over the edge of the boat yes. at the end of the page. And the next page is really about just the the rest of the journey. There's there's nothing <laughs> too eventful as the nephews as Scrooge and the nephews approach the island. Mm -hmm. There's a couple more funny references to the fact that they're eating nothing but cabbage on the way, and they. 
I do like the exchange where the nephews say, think of, think of being rescued by, by someone who has nothing to eat but cabbage. Mm-hmm. And so they do eventually arrive at the island. They get a good view. What do you think, that of the, the view of the island there? Let's see. Um, it's very nondescript. Uh, just seems, uh, uh, unor- it just seems very ordinary. And, uh, of course, as we'll see, there's nothing at all ordinary about this island. So it's a good uh, bait and switch on Barks, uh, on Barks's part. Yeah, I've got to say that first view looks pretty unassuming, like mm-hmm. you said. So they do take care, you know, to to listen to the notes warning and they approach it from the southwest side. Right. Um, but they see that there's nothing that looks like a natural harbor. Um, so they, you know, make themselves ready to go ashore as carefully as they can. And we we get reminded again that Scrooge is really all about the prospecting because he brings a whole outfit with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's, I guess, the end of the story, the, the end of this page kind of adds to that, like, ominous feel that you're talking about mm-hmm. right where the nephews are talking do you, do you mind reading us the nephews exchange at the end of this page yeah uh one of them says it's strange the maroon sailor hasn't shown up to welcome us maybe he smelled us coming and hid and it's, it's a funny exchange but it's also uh yeah where where's this guy that's uh, been trying to be rescued right it definitely plants that seed of like everything is not quite right in in the reader um and and so scrooge and donald are the two that go ashore um and scrooge initially thinks that he's found a gold nugget only to have it be a brass button Mm. uh and they realize that they've got a they're gonna have to look in some of these the caves that are in this kind of cliff face um and so donald and scrooge split up and again thad do you want to kind of tell us about the what happens at the end of this page yeah uh there's a yes we're not kept in too much suspense um anyone who's read an uncle scrooge story can tell who that is in silhouette um it's donald looking in a cave calling for someone in there and uh it's definitely a beagle boy about to tie him up yeah you're and you're right it's not like it's not a big mystery, but it is a very like spookily staged panel. I think I, I do think this is really effective. Mm-hmm. It, and it's weird to see a Beagle Boy by himself, right? Yes. We've yeah. we've seen them enough times to know that Beagle Boys are always plural. Yes. Um. And and on to the next page, we get this kind of rare instance of like the perspective shifting to the beagle. We see uh, his thought balloon as he subdues Donald. Um, he's thinking to himself, the kids on that boat will be next. And he also thinks, I've got reasons for wanting to manage my rescue myself. Um, and we get this pretty cool, sinister approach where he startles the nephews Mm -hmm. um climbs on board they say oh my grandfather's ghost it's (laughs) a beagle boy um and i i really like their like confrontation um do you want to tell us about it yeah it's it's a it's pretty terrifying it's uh it's it's the one beagle boy practically strangling two kids for several panels trying to throw them overboard into the ocean 
and uh, they're be- they're begging they're ex- they're actively begging him to not drown them. Um, it's yeah, uh, again, these early stories they're truly terrible, terrible beagle boys. And it's a nice inclusion of the cabbage again, as one of the nephews attacks the beagle boy with it and knocks him cold enough long enough to be subdued. Right. It's it's weird that cabbage would cause that much damage, but we'll go with it. Right. I I do like it because you're right. It is very um, it's very frightening. You know, the way he's trying to toss them overboard and they're pleading. The stakes do feel really high there. And so, you know, the nephews figure out, hey, if there's one beagle here, there's Uncle Scrooge must be in trouble because there's going to be more beagles on the island. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we flash back to Scrooge on the island and he is pondering. He's still looking for gold, but he's thinking, I'll surely find some rare stones. Mm. yes yes good use of language there by carl barks yeah do you want to tell us this is where it really does turn creepy yeah and he finds all these uh petrified stone animals he sees a turtle he sees a bird uh cockatoo which you can pick up by the tail yeah that's what i I believe that's what graced the yippus cover very foreboding and scrooge just takes off and he's seeing more and more on the next page, uh, wildlife that's petrified, butterflies, monkeys, and what's great is uh, a, a pack of four beagle boys scheming and completely petrified. And as Scrooge says, carved beagle boys. No, no, that's carrying realism too far. Right, because he's he's initially thought it must be carved. But now he's realizing there's got to be something else going on. And and he calls for Donald, saying that he must be having a nightmare and telling him about what he saw. Um, and Donald says, he says, I just saw a whole row of stone beagle boys. Um, Donald gets off a good line here. He says, I'm not surprised. The one that hit me must have been solid granite. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the next page, we're back with the nephews and the subdued beagle boy tied up. Um, this is a bit of exposition. He's explaining the situation. Um, right. It's, it's, it is kind of, it, and this is where I, I liked it. It's creepy because the beagle boys are victims here, too. Well, n- not so much because, as he explains, uh, they came to the island to pillage it. And, you know, so not too, not too uh, many uh, tears shed for for them but right um you know they ran into bad trouble and it's talking about uh martians or whatever they are up there turned a ray on us i was the only one who escaped and he uh he explains the whole situation to them and it turns out uh they believe him right away because he confirmed he corroborates the story about the uh, bottle and what the message said right and he also tells them about his um, fellow beagles and mm. one of the nephews is able to see them through the binoculars mm. um and there's it really does do a good job of ramping up the anxiety by, you know, the Beagle Boy has this really terrified, desperate expression that I think mm-hmm. works very well for this. Um, and so the nephews head out to the island to warn Scrooge and Donald. Um, but but I'm, I'm going to mention, I, I was struck by the Beagle's description here. When I re- reread this, you know, the most recent time, I was thinking that this reminded me the mention of Martians and Array. 
This sounded kind of like the War of the Worlds. Yeah, that that absolutely would have been on uh, Barks's mind, especially at the time, because uh, but that movie was just released in 1953, and you know it would have been on Barks's mind. He would have seen it, he would have heard about it, and might have incorporated that into a story. Right, and and I think the book was in like the I think it was in the 30s. Yeah, of course, and Barks would have read it then too. But I'm just thinking of the the, the film would have uh, jostled his jostled his interest, and oh well, maybe I can do a story with some elements of this. Yeah, no doubt. Like it, it definitely, I think, helped to enter pop culture. I haven't. I can't remember seeing the movie. I think that's the one where it's a very static looking robot mm. who kind of fires beams from his hands. Am I remembering that right? Um, I, you might be. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say as an old movie that, buff, I don't remember it much. That's, that's sci-fi, okay. sci-fi is not my forte. I know enough that uh, that's, pro- that's probably what was on his mind. I just, I am a little familiar with the book. And I remember that, like, the the creatures in the book, to me, they really do evoke what we're, what we're going to see later. Well, so, well, this is, well, it's around this time where um, a lot of uh, the more, the, w- w- what you would call the classic era of sci-fi is really becoming prominent in pop culture. And, you know, it's starting to influence Barks. Uh, this is, yeah. Def- this was his first sci-fi type of story that, but you know, it really isn't so much, but cause it's not so much supernatural as it is, uh, you know, uh, one of gyro gear lost relations <laughs> doing something. I, I think that's a good point. I think that really bears, you know, mention that this is one of the, the first of these like really sci-fi influenced adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the next segment is really all about the all the characters coming together on the island the nephews have to take the beagle um tied up so that he won't try and steal the boat and uh, they encounter scrooge and donald about to crest the hill because donald wants to show uh, scrooge wants to show donald those stone beagle boys um but the nephews warn them off explaining about the gang of martians up there with a ray that will petrify um and scrooge you know he's been up there already and and nothing happened to him so he's extremely skeptical um and and he goes up there and he looks around the nephews are, are pleading with him telling them about the beagle that saw his buddies turn into stone now scrooge realizes that they're really are beagle boys on the island and he and he takes an advantage of the stone yes. beagle boys mm-hmm. yes um, he decides to kick one in the behind because oh brother what a chance to even a lot of old scores and right. of course he he swears he's broken his foot now and he calls to his nephews that it's perfectly safe but on the next page uh turns out it's not quite so safe because Donald and the two nephews, they cross over the ledge. Uh, they're immediately petrified. You're right. With a big um, zing. It's a it's a cool little sound effect. It, it's mm-hmm. a cool. It, it's definitely creepy 
right? Mm, seeing mm. them, seeing them turned to stone. Absolutely. Um, and and so on the next uh, the next segment, we transition to you know Scrooge sobbing about leading his poor nephews into this. Um, the Beagle Boy pleading that they need to sail away, and kind of really the nephew is the only one keeping his head mm. um, and and looking pretty annoyed. <laughs> understandably at mm-hmm. Scrooge um, and we get this moment where the they start to get peppered with what the Beagle Boy believes to be buckshot mm. um, but but the nephew points out that it's nothing but petrified rain and mm-hmm. we learn something really key um, do you want to tell us what we learn about that yeah it's it turns out to be petrified rain it's it's not buckshot at all it's just rain passing through the rays effects it, uh, Scrooge realizes that as the rain is getting far enough away, it turns back into water. So he assumes correctly that if they move the nephews away, if they move Donald and the nephews away, they'll turn back to normal. And uh, there's a nice little exchange. They're coming back to life. Their heads are getting soft. And Scrooge says, well, let's hope they don't get as soft as mine. And then immediately we're in full on Scrooge hero mode where he says, now I have another job to do. This time, I've got to save the whole world. This is a, a pretty... I'm glad you highlighted that. That's that's pretty weird for Barks. Yeah. <laughs> He's not usually interested in having Scrooge be the hero. Um, well, well, it's immediately dashed in the very next panel on the page, you know, because you lull the reader into that. It's like, wow, Scrooge is, you know, being so uh, thoughtless. And, I mean, I mean, he's being so... Uh, you know, he's he's considering the fate of the world. But then it's like, those marshals take the raid of the mainland. They could petrify the police and climb all of my money. So right. it's, it's self-interest once again. Yeah. So so Barks always has to deflate his characters, yes. right? If if something is going well for Donald in one of these stories, like mm-hmm. in, say, The Brittle Mastery, or, or, right. or if he's having some big success... Um, you know, he's got to have something befall him. He's got to get some calamity. And and the same thing with Scrooge. If he's showing some um, nobility, I guess he's got to tamp that by having him think about his money again. Um, before we go on, you know, it is, it is really affecting. I, I felt nervous watching Scrooge and the, the one nephew carefully lowering the petrified ducks down oh, the yes. cliff. You know, that that definitely felt stressful to me. Um, I'm also amused at Scrooge pondering, I'm, I must be too tough to petrify. <laughs> so Scrooge does go to approach, as he says, the whole Martian army to, to try and lick him with the, his bare hands. And um, while he's off, the nephew is talking with the Beagle Boy, asking if he really ever saw or heard anything of him. And he explains that I, I didn't, I don't know anything except for the first two months I was here, because he's been there for seven months. The first two months I was here, I smelled cabbage cooking every day. <laughs> so we're, we're back to the this weird running gag slash motif, I don't know, of, of cabbage being very important in this story. And then we flash back to Scrooge. It is a nice suspenseful moment as he kind of sneaks past some groves of coconut trees and gets close. Um, and then we get this view of where the problem is coming from. Do you want to characterize it, Thad? 
Yeah, it almost it it almost looks like a Martian creation the way it is. It's it looks like a mechanical monsters hissing and sizzing and sputting and zinging and fizzing all at once. And um yeah, it's really the only I, I can see why that this story, um, this this panel sort of defines why this uh, story might be lower on people's lists because a lot of the other earlier stories with Scrooge, they have more spectacle than this. And this is like the only half-page panel that's like this. And right. it's it's not, I mean, it, it, it is a little terrifying, but it's, it's almost a little underwhelming considering all the personal drama that the characters had been going through up to this point. So it's like, yeah, okay, we see that this is terrifying, but, you know, it's almost like, oh, well, that's not, that's so, not so scary, you know. I, I <laughs> almost agree. underwhelming yeah I, I i think that's right it's a little underwhelming i i think it's about as as cool about, about as good of a payoff as he could make based right. on kind of the trajectory of the story but, but you're right that compared to like some of the the real sizzle splash panels in tralala or mm-hmm. um, only a poor old man or right um or or whatever recently that it's not it doesn't have that much of a punch. It mm-hmm. is cool, right? And it's right. definitely got some of the like fifties sci-fi vibe right, that we have really seen. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's neat, but I, I definitely, I do think it, it's a little underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Well, especially it, what what comes after um, is frankly more terrifying than than the sight of the ray itself. Um, Scrooge gets captured, and he doesn't get to see his captor because um, he's locked in a basket. And it turns out it's this uh, prospectory shirtless old man, uh, one of those creepy creatures of Barks's, where he gives them ears, even though they're birds. Oh yeah. Um, um, he, he runs right out and he starts, he screams pirates and he, and he starts zinging them. And like, even when the Beagle boy pleads with them to not shoot, um, he petrifies the Beagle boy and he gets Donald, but the nephew has escaped to the boat. Um, I, that's frankly, uh, <laughs> that's frankly a better payoff to that, uh, sight of that. Uh, it's a better payoff than the sight of that Ray even is. That this professor is such a goofball. He's so <laughs> weird, and he's merciless, as you yes. say. He really, he really goes for them. And his little portable um, petrification ray—it really looks. It, it evokes one of those old-fashioned, like ex, um, a DDT killer. container. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's what's why it's funny because it's old. It's old-timey. That's a common theme with Barks. Something old-timey or. You know, com- is, something common, but it, it does something incredible. Right, right. It's what Donald was using to spray fires yes. when he was Fireman Donald, mm-hmm. basically. Right. Um, and and uh, we we get the professor's thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. He clearly thinks that they're all just criminals mm-hmm. that like the Beagle Boys who have come to try and pillage what's his and you know that the nephews do make it back to their boat uh and they plan to go away for help but scrooge has the ignition key with him so again it's some tight plotting there filling in those plot holes and (laughs) we get this fun silhouette of the professor pushing around a large version 
of his invention. And he's thinking to himself, nobody must stop me before I have finished my great invention. And that's an interesting moment, right? Because mm-hmm. like, first off, you know, as far as we can tell, the, the invention is finished, except for mm-hmm. the fact that it's like indiscriminate, maybe. Um, and and what else could he be working on? This is what he's created is, is pretty terrifying. Yes. So the nephews, they don't have a lot of options here, but they do just, one of them remembers what the Beagle mentioned about cabbage mm-hmm. um, and smelling it cooking for two months. So they, he kind of is like, well, what do we got to lose? Let's yeah. start cooking some up. And it's, it's goofy and it's silly, but the way he set it up, it does, it is logical, right? What else right. can they do? Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell yeah. us about the next page where the professor yes. is looking out over the cliff? Yes, he's about to set the ray on them, but the, the scent of that cabbage. Oh, my drilling taste buds. He immediately gets on board swimming, lo- dropping all of his equipment, you know, lo- losing all his agencies, just like, and he gets tied up immediately. And he says, I'll talk. I'll do anything if you just give me a bite of that wonderful, tasty cabbage. It's uh, it's it's quite a quite a turn um, because this was once this supposedly lethal character, you know, it just becomes just a uh, completely helpless just at the scent of disgusting cabbage. Right. Right. It's it's a weird turn. Um, and so we transition back to Scrooge in his basket And he sees the kids returning with what he thinks is the Martian monster. But the ducks, the nephews quickly explain that he's actually a scientist from Duckburg, conveniently. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we get a little bit of quick exposition about how he invented the ray while trying to take the fumes out of cabbage. (laughs) That is the whole instigation for this fairly dark and suspenseful story mm-hmm. this like kind of a mystery right and and so he he came here to the island afraid mm-hmm. that the ray would fall into the hands of bad people um and he's been working on his cabbage and we can see that he's really distraught that every time he perfected the fumeless cabbage he took out he also took out the taste mm. Um, and and he's essentially lived in fear of pirates ever since the beagles came and he had to turn the ray on them and and he's it's references him being trapped there by a typhoon mm-hmm. uh what do you think that about the next page where scrooge tells him you're wasting your time with scentless cabbage when that ray would make you master of the world mm-hmm. yes I, i've always liked this little bit of uh, bark's philosophy sure but there are two too many masters in the world already and not enough friends it's uh you know i, I just can't help thinking that this uh, it's just def- definitely almost gyro 2.0 2.0 or something or an alternate version of him because he's got very gyro like tendencies um especially the early gyro where he's more absent-minded you know he's more lanky um he's got the glasses all right and uh and it's a, definitely a gyro trait that he would invent something by accident trying to do something else. I think he is, it's, this character doesn't have a name, this professor. Right. And I, I think that's just his way of saying, well, I kind of wanted to use gyro, but I couldn't because he's established. So here's this other similar character. And gyro sort of got the same viewpoint on life, too. It's like, you know, no, I, I don't want to do that because, you know, the world's bad enough. Why would I want to take over or do 
anything. Yeah, I I completely agree with everything you said there. Right, that was well stated. He he seems like such a stand-in for Gyro that you feel like maybe Barks considered using Gyro, but couldn't quite figure out how it works. Since right, the, since he already knows the ducks or Espe- something. especially that aspect of it, <laughs> they would all know him already. Right, and it is a good line. I think that's probably the only reason that he has Scrooge say something so weird, like he's encouraging him to take over the world, right? I think Barks <laughs> just, he wanted him to say that good line about how there are too many masters and not enough friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then we get the, the second little turning point here. You know, <laughs> we, we think that everything is okay, but it turns out that uh, the nephews have noticed that they, they've been approached by the Beagle Boys, mm-hmm. who, who have the ray aimed at them um and they have a pretty specific threat here Mm -hmm. you want to tell us their threat yes uh surrender or we'll petrify your nephews forever and and this is uh this is why i like this story a lot it shows a lot of character beats uh there's no real jokes here scrooge sees the seriousness of the situation and tells them i'll not let you harm my nephews i'll pay you any price to let them go and he's like any price, even all of your three cubic acres of genuine money, and yes, even my last 16 cents. And the Beagle Boys scoff this off, and you know, because they're gonna get everything in the world with this array. We'll where we'll pillage and plunder in grand style. And Scrooge is, of course, uh, what a horrible fate to befall the world. You know, these guys are gonna be masters, great. Um. And there's this wonderful page. Um, it's almost entirely the Beagle Boys um, boasting about what they're going to do to the world with uh, 1,000 mansions with 2,000 bathtubs. Why the bathtubs? We never take baths. They're to hold our jewels, you uncool ruffian. You know, they're doing their trademark dance with their, uh, they're showing off their, their, their uh, terrible, terrible, terrible behavior. We're going to be emperors of the world. We have kings and presidents groveling at our feet. And we want turkey for breakfast. We'll have turkey. And here's what we were alluding to earlier. Yes. And we, when we want prunes for breakfast, everyone's, and all the other Beagle Boys scream at him, shut up. We had prunes for breakfast every morning in prison. Are you getting homesick? And really minuscule, the one Beagle Boy says, but I like prunes. And I think this is just playing off. You know, we had one disgusting the characteristically disgusting food already with the cabbage. Here's another that's an acquired taste prunes. <laughs> acquired taste is pretty generous, right? Yes. I, I don't know if this is universal around the world, but like prunes are kind of a punchline in the States, right? Yes. Cause like you're only, an old prune. You're an old prune. Yeah. You're an old you're, prune. Yeah. Um, no one likes prunes. The only reason you eat a prune is if you're like, constipated yes. and you need to go they're they're for old people so so there's a lot of humor in this one beagle boy randomly loving prunes and you know barks like he doesn't do a ton of running gags that span whole right. stories right mm-hmm. like right he but he'll actually come back to this one beagle yes. liking prunes in at least yes. a couple other stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, over like his whole career, I think it was uh, the giant robot robbers, and, mm-hmm. and um, oh, the one horsing around with history, right? Um, 
So like he remembered that he liked that shtick. It, yes. It's it's very funny, mm-hmm. um, and and it's also something that like people in the whole duck community. Oh yes, yeah. so we we all of, all of us who have worked with the ducks and who have worked with the Beagle Boys, we've all tried to incorporate prunes at one point or another. Right. You know, it's it's just a, a just a wonderful little gag that this thug. Has you know he uh, he, he has a ta- his taste bud is for uh, for prunes something so, something and it's something they probably would serve in a prison in the fifties because it's cheap right right so it's a good bit um, and the Beagle Boys you know they keep talking and arguing amongst themselves while Scrooge yes. is kind of standing there yeah um, that's they... a, that's yeah that's a good segue um, uh, that fun that the final panel is Scrooge he's leaning against the tree he's like well make up your mind you asked me to surrender what happens next like all right enough of this right because it's because it has gone on for the whole page yeah for a fairly short story he devotes a, a pretty good amount of time to the beagles gloating right Um, and i i like that part of the story i find it uh, among the more memorable parts Mm -hmm. up there with like the 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 view of the ray and the Mm -hmm. petrified animals those Mm -hmm. are probably the things that i remembered best from this one so they they remember that they're looking for the boat key and they tell scrooge to hand it over and we get this interesting exchange where the professor very confidently tells him don't listen to them don't do it um and we can tell that for some reason the professor knows that he actually has the upper hand Mm -hmm. Uh, and and as the beagle boys go to go to freeze them go to petrify them we we learn what that upper hand is it's the fact that he has the key in the yes. ray to the yes in his pocket yes i i love this dialogue it's like they can't make the ray zing why for the same reason they can't make your boat zing i have the key in my pocket <laughs> and yeah it's a it's a well um it's a well well developed bit of dialogue it, it like is it, 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 it is it's such a deflation you know, it's like you cheated us you old crook it's like yeah i yeah of course i'm not scared you idiots you think i left the key to that uh, unattended <laughs> and and the the professor gets like downright gleeful again yes, he's always yes. giggling as he like uses his little manual thing to yeah the, to, the his man his manual his manual pump right his manual pump and i just enjoy, I, I and i enjoy it this time that he's gleeful because they, they deserve that what's going to happen so let's not have any more rough stuff boys right right and and so you know their their journey on this island kind of wraps up with the um the ducks telling the beagles that they're going to need to construct a raft to get home because there's not <laughs> enough room on the boat i do like that panel of them crying amongst themselves <laughs> about of all the people in the world those ducks had to be the ones that got my bottle message mm-hmm. um and the professor's just gonna hang out on his island because now he's got a great supply of uh of cabbage and he can bless the world with his future invention of fumeless cabbage yes there's another good little bit with that that gag what what do you think are we are we overdoing the gag here when donald says what a pity he hasn't got it invented now no, he's just got to reinforce that, you know, this is definitely one of Barks' grocery stories. And, <laughs> and you know, you just got to keep throwing it in at every turn. And we're, we're not done with it quite yet. But right. and we've got 
we got the great explanation too, because it's probably what we were wondering as readers is right that one um, last mystery. Yes, why didn't the ray petrify me, Scrooge asks, and the professor asks, "I'd like to know that myself." Uh, something is in your skin and in your clothing that deflects the ray. Gold dust. My goodness, Mister McDuck, do you roll in money? Um, we won't discuss that. And it's again, it's like it, it, you. It, it's the outside world that doesn't no screws like going wait how does this happen what insanity is this you've got gold dust in your skin it's it's a great bookend yeah right yes, it it's works a so it well works. because and he didn't call he he didn't do the call back until the very end that's why it works so well and right and, and as readers you might have forgotten well, what was the point of them coming out here in the first place and Barks conveniently reminds you, and it sets up the ending. Right, and we've got that great, like, the the same pose with the professor holding the a magnifying glass, just like the doctor and Scrooge mm-hmm. blushing. Um, and, and that makes it funny, right? Yes. The, the way that he's concerned. Oh, yes, that. yes. And... And so, and and as far as I'm concerned, that beat is is like the end of the story. He he just kind of like um, lets it languorously end with a little bit of their boat voyage home um, and one last exchange where Donald tells him, you know, you better get back to cooking dinner. Um, but but he's fed up with that. He says, "You cook, I'll steer." You know, I'm a sick duck. Uh, and he he. <laughs> It's a cute panel. He steers with his feet while he airs himself out. Um, And Donald finishes, closes the story out by just being really annoyed at how you just can't win with Uncle Scrooge around as he is yet again cooking some stinky cabbage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that that wraps it up. Um, I can sort of see why someone like you would, who's not particularly, you know, one of their favorites, says it's unremarkable. It kind of is, but it's just, it has a lot of character in it. And that's what I really don't like about a lot of uh, the Uncle Scrooge stories in general, that they start to follow a formula very fast. You know, it's uh, they get, it's Scrooge and Donald get in trouble and the nephews find some way to get them out of it. Um, this is very much all the characters are present throughout. Um, Donald, not so much. And arguably, maybe even the nephews, not so much either, because this uh, Scrooge really drives all of the story because because yeah. it's it's unique in that he's the only person the stone ray doesn't affect. So kind of it's it's almost <laughs> it's almost a superhero story in that sense, because he's it's... got this power none of the other characters have. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's true. More than a lot of the so-called Uncle Scrooge stories, this really is like a, a specifically about Uncle Scrooge. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are, are as much about Donald or the mm-hmm. nephews as they are right. Scrooge. Um, You know, I, one of the things I, I really enjoy about doing this show and like <laughs> diving into obsessively into the specifics of these is that I do end up like finding a lot to appreciate about stories that maybe I hadn't like really sat down and thought about. And as we, as we went through this story, that there is a lot that, that we talked about and that you pointed out and, and kind of advocated for that made me realize, Hey, you know, this, this story does actually have 
have quite a bit going for it. Um, there, there are some really unique, really cool things. The, the kind of ominous tone is very unique. I, I wouldn't say that like my opinion has shifted so that right. I'd say it's like a favorite all right. of a sudden. But right. but I it it definitely is kind of an average Barks adventure. And an average Barks adventure is like it's still really, really good. Still yeah, great. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty rarefied air to be in. To, to okay. just be a a good bark story is is really saying a lot. And this one does have a lot going for it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do still have some problems. I, you know, I do find parts of it underwhelming. The mm-hmm. pro- I've never really gotten over what a what a goofball the professor <laughs> is. Well, yes, he kind of is a he. He almost is kind of a nothing. You know, like I said, he's a stand-in for Gyro and kind of yeah. under. Uh, it, it, it's it. What defines the underwhelming? It, how underwhelming he is is that he barks didn't even bother to give him a name. Right. Like, yeah. Definitely. For um, such a crucial. For such a crucial character. And it's interesting too. Now that I think about it, I just had this thought. In so many of the early Uncle Scrooge and and Four Color Donald, you know, he really wants to go on like that National Geographic journey, mm-hmm. um, and he wanted to like depict a little bit about the the location or or the legend of whatever he was talking about. And and this story has such a like anonymous setting that doesn't have any underlying like cultural significance really and yes i just looked up i just refreshed my memory if you look if you just google war of the worlds and look up the illustrations um you're gonna see the ray that barks is he stole it right from hg wells so right yeah, right, it's, like that's, that's, that is that's that is the this is this, see this show ed- educates me as to how um, uh, underdeveloped a lot of my other interests and knowledge in pop culture are. But yes, that is that is the, the ray in that panel is just a direct ripoff of the fighting machine in War of the Worlds, and I think that's probably why it's underwhelming because Barks wasn't doing anything original; he just stole it. Yeah, that that was my recollection. Why, why don't you? look it up right now yourself mark just really quick just go in the well, other i will but i can i can totally picture it right look up and fighting then... Mach- fighting machine war of the worlds just google it it's 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 that yeah yeah he just, he just he just stole it see so this is so this is another important lesson you know um theft is a part of cartooning. It really is. I mean, I see so many people crying fall when, you know, people see like, oh, you cribbed from this. So it's like, well, Carl Barks cribbed from H.G. Wells. I mean, what's the big deal? You know, he just he just used it as an element in a story. You know, it's that that's, you know, not, you know, there are only so many original ideas on Earth. And Absolutely. You know, so, you know, th- that can be forgiven. But that that is a that is a blatant. That is a blatant bit of plagiarism there, though. I'm glad I'm glad that you agree, because honestly, I was surprised that I never really saw it mentioned in like any of the commentary by Jeffrey mm-hmm. Blum or mm. anyone else. Maybe someone's pointed it out before, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that I, I, I nailed that. <laughs> 
Yes, you did. Yeah. Okay. Well, despite that bit of theft, I, I just think it's a really fun story. Um, it's always stood out. Um, I remember as a teenager, I asked uh, my friend David Gerstein, who is the archival editor on the Gemstone books, it's like, can you reprint this one? Because it hasn't been reprinted in years and years. And uh Turned out in June, my birthday month, uh, Mysterious Stone Ray showed up in the Uncle Scrooge Gemstone book. So Nice. Yeah, so I, I don't think that was that intentional, but I like to think of it that way. That's a happy coincidence. Right. So let's talk about, you know, the community um, impression. I always use Index as kind of a representation. It's not perfect, but it's by far the best like way to judge what the overall community thinks of a story. And um, people have voted this one to a 7.9 out of 10, which lands it at number 47 hmm. on on the list of all disney comics well see I, so, th I think that's reflecting a bit i might have talked about it but you know uh the worldwide perception is that the scrooge stories are his best work so index is incorporating a lot of that and their rating yeah i i think that's probably right i think that the uh, original like the the earliest scrooge stories everyone is just like well this was an uncle scrooge number eight right it must be great it was one of those first scrooge stories i think i think that's a little bit generous it um, is i don't even if i was thinking if i really had to do it i i think this one might be lucky to be at my own top 50 of the bark stories but that's only because so many of the 10 pagers would take it up before that right because if you like pull out you know, the the stories by like, there are some Gottfriedson stories right. and Rhoda stories and Castie mm -hmm. um, and a, a couple of Rosa stories probably right. in the top 50. So if you yeah. pulled them out, that, that makes it like a top 30 story roughly. And, and again, that's 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 generous. This is a good story mm -hmm. and and is is memorable in a lot of ways. But I do think that that's overly generous. Um, nothing against people who call this one of their favorites. It, it's I, I you know, I, I'm not sure where I stand. Like, I, I don't know if I like it enough where I would consider it a, a top favorite. But I like I like it too much to, like, you know, just dismiss out of hand. Um, sure. It's, def it's definitely um, out of that Fanta book, uh, the Fanta reprint, it's definitely my favorite in that in that book anyway. So yeah, which one was that in? That, that um, that's been... in the, that's in the Seven Cities book, right? So I I think Seven Cities itself, I probably enjoy a lot more. Right. Um, There's it's it's yeah. It's definitely got uh, more of the flavor of what people would like in a Scrooge story. But, you know, but it's there's the, some fun ones from that era. Sure. Sure. No, it's um. It, it, I, I just think I just like it too much. I, I don't want to dismiss it at all. But yeah. I would I would definitely agree that the Indux rating is a little skewed. But uh, a lot of Indux ratings are skewed. So uh, right. But I'll, as we've discussed and we've learned uh, in the past, hey, it it gives us something to talk about, and right. I love that. Right. Um, it's not you got to hang your podcast around something structural. Right. Right. So, so we also talk about kind of other references um, and follow-ups. Now, to my knowledge, Barks never did any kind of a painting for this one. Which, no, you know, it's, it kind of says it all. He didn't think of it as too memorable. Yeah, I don't think it would have been a great subject for a painting. He did paintings yeah. for some pretty unmemorable stories, but they yeah. definitely had had some key moments. Mm -hmm. um, I 
I, I took a little look and I didn't remember, I couldn't come across any time that this might've been adapted into a DuckTale story mm -hmm. um, for either of the, of the series. Mm -hmm. Now there was one big follow-up. Yeah, so um, one of Don Rosa's earliest stories. Yeah. Right, this yeah. was a very early story of Don Rosa. And I'm, I'm gonna confess that I, I read the Rosa story before I read the Barks original. Yeah, that this this was uh um you know as everyone knows I I quote unquote hate Don Rosa. I don't hate Don Rosa. I just um we, we don't say... hate any creators <laughs> on the podcast. Right. People are welcome to be critical of them, of course. Right, but I'm not the biggest fan, but I do enjoy his earliest stuff, but the uh his cash flow story uh it, it just hinges too much on you knowing that this that's why you probably baffled as a kid when you read it before because, you know, who remembered this character from what right. is what we've already discussed is not one of Barks's you know, top tier stories. And it, it hinges on the device that he doesn't remember the Beagle Boys at all. And it's, it's really dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's oh, just so dumb. that is a weird element. Now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial. And I, I, I've heard people express that a lot of people who like know the stories well, they do tend to feel more warmly towards Rose's early stories, I think. Mm -hmm. I love cash flow. I hmm. love it. I think it's stronger than this story, actually. Huh. Well, I'll have to I'll have to relook at it again because I keep seeing it on my shelf. I picked up the slip cover with the uh, two earliest fanographics, uh Rosa books. Um oh, I can't find the second one. It showed it's it showed up randomly for 50 bucks, which is the list price, but I just took it like, all right, I'll grab it. Fine. Um because I actually had a freebie before, but uh, someone over at my apartment, I gifted it to. But uh, no, um, I'll have to relook at that one then. Because like I said, um, I, I do like Rose's earliest stuff. Now, I, I totally agree with the criticism that like the, the professor shoehorned in and, and the fact that he doesn't recognize them. That that's you got to you got to kind of just give him that. But the story itself and, and the high concept, that's Rose's strength, right, is the high concepts that he does. And the, the two rays, the follow up, the sequel mm. rays, I guess. Um, he so in this one it's a stone ray, and in the follow up he does a ray that like reduces inertia, and another one that reduces <laughs> momentum. I think, mm. and the way that he plays that out, I I think it's Rosa at his best. Mm. So um, maybe it's an artifact of me reading that one first. By it might few, be by a few months. It might be. I'll have to look at that myself once I. Uh, I'll have to look at that again myself because. I just remember the standout just being it's just too contrived that the professor doesn't remember the guys that once tried to t use his invention to take over the world. I thought that was I thought that was a little bit of uh, too much creative license on Mr. Rose. Right. Part. And and I remember the Beagles say that dizzy professor won't remember us. And I mean, in, in fairness, he is a pretty dizzy guy. So sure. Um, But but yeah, it's it's weird because it's not really a sequel to the the story itself no the, the sequel element is that there's another ray and the beagle boys still that beagle still likes prunes and that's pretty mm -hmm. much it oh pretty the much. professor yeah still just the professor. still wants his cabbage yes 
So, um, but, but I do really like that story. And, um, you know, this one, this one's a lot of fun. Not, not one of the most memorable, but definitely mm. worth reading. And I'm, I'm glad that we got to talk about this. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, I, I will say that I've got kind of a new appreciation. There, there have oh, been God. a few of these stories where literally as I go through and talk about it with <laughs> a guest host, I like develop a, a real appreciation for them. Oh, good. Well, good. I'm I'm glad I uh, I'm glad my sound reasoning could help uh, turn you a little bit more towards this uh, story's favor. Yeah. So we've covered it pretty well. Um, and and we did mention a number of of panels that stood out to us. Are there any that you'd like like to highlight that we didn't mention or that you think really kind of merit? You know, oh, this this is my favorite panel. I don't think so. Just those panels where uh, the doctor and the professor are discovering the gold dust in his pores. The there's too many there's too many masters and not enough friends. Uh, the prune that whole page with the beagles. You yeah, know, they're they're them showing off. I, I think we got we got all the beats covered, and I think I think that's why, and I think we just sort of emphasized why this m- might not stand out as much because when you think of you know the more character driven stuff you sort of lean more towards donald whereas this where scrooge you lean more towards adventure and you know the, it's kind of like the defining like the split off point uh when he stopped focusing so much on donald duck stories and more on uncle scrooge stories you know that that his the quality of his work went in a different direction yeah it definitely does feel like a dividing line i think i i, I probably agree with you there some of those earlier Donald stories are more memorable. Um, but there's a lot of great stuff. Oh, of Scrooge. course. I'm, and I don't mean, I don't mean to slag on screw on the Scrooge story so much. Um, you know, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be a Karl Barks fan, you know, if I, if I didn't like a lot of Scrooge. So, right. Um, but, it, but, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't, no, it's, I can't think of much more to say about this one, but just that I've always really had a soft spot for it. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll just mention, we talked about a lot of my favorites. I, I do like the initial silhouettes of the beagle skulking about in the cave. I like, I had mentioned Scrooge kind of airing himself out. I'm a sucker for those panels. And, uh, and that opening where he's looking all joyless, splashing through his money is definitely a striking one as well. So thank you listeners for enjoying this episode. Uh, Feel free to, you know, check out our socials. We've got Barks Remarks is, is on Facebook and Instagram. So and and Thad, you've got you've got a, a podcast of your own, right? You want to Yeah, sure. Um it's a podcast I did run with uh, Bob Jakes, the animation director, the legendary animation director of Ren and Stimpy, uh, called Cartoon Logic. Uh, we have a backlog of a couple dozen episodes. Um we're kind of restructuring right now. We both are pretty busy with our lives right now, but we um, you know, we dissect the classic cartoon from the golden age of Hollywood and New York animation and just discuss why a lot of these titles work and why some of them don't work. Um, so if you're a fan of specifically Warner cartoons and Fleischer cartoons, uh, we cover them pretty well there. So, um, And I'll be working on getting our Popeye-centric episodes, which were a Patreon exclusive for a while. Um, I'm working on getting those public. So yeah, um, that's, that's about the size of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. 
I have listened to a couple of those. They're really good. Um, and you know, the, a lot of influence on Bark's stories. Like, oh, of course, yeah. Of course. We actually did do an episode. I specifically picked it because uh, um, on the on Donald Duck cartoons, and we dissected uh, the cartoon Timber, which. Barks co-wrote with Jack Hanna, and nice. uh, we sort well. It turns out it's uh, we don't really like the cartoon that much, and we sort of go into why. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't remember that one. Well, our th- well, our thoughts generally are we love the Carl Barks stories, but we don't like the animated Donald Ducks so much. Um, it's, uh, it's something that I guess we agree with Mr. Rosa on. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I loved them as a kid, but they don't hold. There's, the there's, there's me. no, there's no contest whatsoever. No. Right. None. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, people should definitely check that out and uh, come uh, join us next time when we get to talk about, um, a, a very unique adventure. We're going to be diving into the lemming with the locket. Oh boy. Um, and Thad, I've been closing recent episodes by just um, reading the very last panel. It's my closing shtick, and I don't know how well it works, but I'm sticking with it. So um, with Uncle Scrooge around, you just can't win. Mm-hmm. All right. Th- thanks a lot for joining us, Thad. Thank you. Thank you.